Welcome to this Philosophics Podcast. I'm Bry Willis, and I'll be sharing some of my thoughts with you and offer my perspective. This series of podcasts focuses on philosophy, politics, economics, and policy. And more. In this series, I take a stream-of-consciousness approach to explore various topics of interest from my point of view. Let's jump into today's topic. I've read and heard a lot of perspectives on diversity and inclusion, whether for black lives, females, LGBTQ+, or some other class. I'll bet you have as well. I agree that a lack of diversity is problematic. But I'll submit that the issue is more complex and dimensional than a problem with intersectionality, as already complex as this problem is. There is something to be said for experiential diversity. And the benefits of virtual cross-pollination may have some advantages, but much of this is performative, superficial diversity washing, enough to claim a public relations participation award. I keep Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex close to the top of my mind much of the time, but this is more than just about feminism. It's about otherism, the otherness that creates outgroups. In Beauvoir's parlance, there are men and there are not men. Others. This is similar to Baudrillard's dog-not-dog distinction, but with more intention, so we arrive at an orthodox-not-orthodox pairing. Taking workplace diversity as a frame, employers accepting blacks, or women, or disabled, or some other identified class is superficial because the common thread is the acceptance of the prevailing meta-narratives, not only of capitalism, democracy, meritocracy, authority structures, and the like. They are not interested in real diversity of opinion. They are interested in appealing to the conformity of public opinion. As long as one complies with this mindset, sex and gender, the color of one's skin, or one's disability is cosmetic. To some extent, there will be some diversity of thought. There will be some additional cultural perspectives, some new generational perspectives, and some representative gender perspectives, but all of these are still aligned to the overarching narrative. In the world, in the United States anyway, it's generally acceptable to be black or Hispanic as long as you act white or American. Speak with a neutral accent. Listen to the mainstream pop music of the day. Don't wear culturally identifiable clothing. This will help to foster acceptance. In a way, this was a faux pas of Donald Trump. He came across as vulgar to those who hold this perspective. But he also had the privilege of being a white male, and purportedly affluent to top things off. This buys latitude. A sort of halo effect. The diversity that's missing is from one that would do things differently. When a woman ascends to a CEO position, she has done so by more or less mimicking the path a man would probably have taken, making similar decisions. Ditto for a black. Double ditto for a black woman. I am not saying that these people will be carbon copies. I'm not claiming there won't be nuance and shading, but you are unlikely to find someone who operates outside of the guardrail succeed. Unless, of course, it's a white male. That's the privilege being referenced when we hear the term bandied about. On balance, people outside of this narrow path will not ascend. I'll ignore the question of whether this is even a worthwhile aim. A woman who takes this path may have to break through a glass ceiling, but for those of us with a more diverse mindset, the ceiling is stainless steel. A meter thick. And this constraint holds back the ascent more than just for CEOs and other executives. A common argument is that hiring these truly diverse people would be disruptive. But that's the point. If you accept the status quo, you are part of the problem. You are explicitly limiting diversity because it feels uncomfortable. It feels unnatural to you. So, if you are a non-neurotypical, not being hired by a disabled, 
black, trans woman is no consolation. But this is the diversity that's missing. And many interviews are designed to weed these candidates out. And, if I am being completely honest, I've been guilty of doing the same thing. It's a difficult habit to break, and it runs counter to hundreds of thousands of years of human evolution. So I won't judge you too harshly. Allow me to relate a bit about myself and my own life. I am a self-aware eccentric, and although I can color within the lines, my thought is typically outside of accepted boundaries. Perhaps as evidenced by this podcast. Luckily, I've had the good fortune to work with the right people in the right environments to capitalize rather than be hampered by this difference. I've been lucky enough to operate with relative autonomy because, over the years I've generally met or exceeded expectations on my own path. During one review. Or at least a conversation. A manager told me that he had no idea how I operated, but that he didn't want to interfere for fear of breaking the goose laying the golden eggs. I know this was difficult for him to say and to admit, because he is a very structured thinker and felt compelled to create repeatable structures, despite ignoring the structure when it came to him, and, thankfully, to me. This same person, whom I admire, despite our having different worldviews, also noted that I operate as a symphony director or orchestrator rather than a typical leader. I feel this is spot on. Even as early as high school, I articulated that I did not consider myself to be either a leader or a follower. I was a self-professed advisor, so it's no surprise that I find myself in management consulting and advisory roles. I realize, that in the United States, the world is constructed to be more diametrical than it would otherwise seem to need to be, so I typically end up being a veritable unicorn in most settings. And that's okay. As those who know me, my first career was in the entertainment field, where diversity is more a part of the rule than the exception, but there are still many normies there too. They are typically label executives. And don't get me wrong. Many musicians and artists are not the eccentrics the media makes them out to be. Some of these people are more ordinary than your accountant or project manager, with apologies in advance for stereotyping. Do companies need to hire and retain truly divergent thinkers? Yes. They do. Do I think human resources functions would be able to manage this true diversity? No. I don't. They are not equipped to think outside of small boxes. And perhaps they aren't that small. Still, they are constrained. The boxes that a candidate needs to tick on an employment application satisfies the diversity requirement. And this creates the boundaries of the boxes. And we can pat ourselves on the back because we've progressed past a time when no boxes needed ticking. Fun fact. If you are too neurodiverse, you may have earned yourself the ability to tick the disability box. I'm not sure I'll qualify that as progress. The problem is that this diverse perspective is not something a resume can convey very well as there needs to be a great deal of trust, which is not typically in place for new hires. So many, let's say, organic and creative thinkers, get left out of the equation to the detriment of cultural diversity. These are my thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts on diversity. And, in particular, neurodiversity. Leave a comment. Thank you for stopping by. This wraps up today's topic. I hope you found the content informative, and, most of all, engaging. This is part of a series of podcasts. Visit again to hear other topics of interest and visit the companion blog at philosophicsblog.wordpress.com for transcripts, as well as an archive of information predating these podcasts. You can submit questions and comments on the blog too. That's philosophicsblog.wordpress.com. Take care.